Welcome to 1086 10-8 Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Lee Alexander. And I'm Matt Taylor. And we thank you for joining us here today. We're going to start off this show with kind of a sad note. Uh, recently in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, uh, two Bay St. Louis police officers were shot dead. Uh, what happened there was uh, they were called about 4.30 in 4.30 a.m. in the morning to a parking lot at Motel 6. And they located a woman sitting inside an SUV. She had an unidentified female juvenile in the vehicle with her. The two officers talked to her for about 30 minutes. Then apparently at some point she drew a firearm and shot and killed both officers. Responding officers uh, to that call, uh, follow-up, uh, found the two officers on the ground uh, shot, and the female inside the vehicle was deceased from a what apparent uh, self-inflicted gunshot wound. The story did not have any follow-up information on the unidentified uh, female passenger, what her status was, uh, but apparently the two officers, one uh, died at the scene and one died later at the hospital. The two officers were identified as a Sergeant Stephen Robin and Officer Brandon Estorf. Uh, Sergeant Robin was the one pronounced deceased at the scene, and Officer Estorf uh, later passed away at the hospital. I think this is a perfect example of how this can happen anywhere at any time when you consider that Bay St. Louis is a city of only 10,000 people just west of Biloxi. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, I think they were both younger guys, too. Yeah, like 23, something like that. And what, the sergeant was like 34, yeah. if I read that correctly? Right. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's, it just makes you wonder. We'll never know what the circumstances truly were. Right. I'm not going to sit here and, and critique what they did wrong. No, because no, we really don't know what right. happened. You the know? unfortunate part is we lost two guys. That's right. Two public servants. And uh, we ask everybody to reach out and have prayers for their family and positive feelings for their family to help them get through this tough times. Since uh, we last spoke, um, I know that those two officers um, were killed in the line of duty. Do we have any others? Uh, sure do. Uh, besides the, those two, which we lost on December 14th, on December 4th, uh, Deputy Jose Angel de Leon from the Warren County Sheriff's Office in North Carolina, uh, died in a vehicle crash. Border Patrol Agent Raul Umberto Gonzalez, Jr., from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Uh, he died in an ATV crash while chasing illegals. And on December 12th, Reserve Deputy Brad Miller, the Maury County Sheriff's Office, Tennessee, he also died in a vehicle crash. Wow. And that's just since our last episode. Well, that's like five. Five. That's crazy. It sucks. We're up to what? 213 killed in line of duty this year? 213, I believe, yes. Damn. Why don't we take a moment of silence for these officers? All right. Thank you so much. All right, let's move on to our next story. Our next story, sadly has to say, is, is again involving a deceased officer. Though it was not in the line of duty per se, uh, it's still a shame uh, because it's an individual 
doing the right thing, I guess you could say. An Alaska state trooper was killed by a muskox. What the? What? A muskox. My understanding, it's kind of like a buffalo, maybe with a little bit bigger horns. Um, He was out trying to scare a group of muskox away from a dog kennel at his residence uh, to make it safe for the dogs in the kennel, I guess. And one of the muskox attacked him. Uh, these are 800-pound animals, so they're, they're large. Um, and sadly, he was declared deceased at the scene, uh, wow. simply for being at home. What kind of animals we have up there? I don't know, but that's why I don't live in Alaska. They got big things up there. Shit. <laughs> well, it's unfortunate for the officer, man, yes. and, and that's a shame. And, and prayers out to his family. The tro- trooper name, by the way, uh, was Trooper Curtis Warland. And he was declared deceased at the scene, and our prayers go out to him and his family. Uh, now let's go on the brighter side. Let's look at something a little bit happier, and let's talk about a good Samaritan. Uh, recently, a California Highway Patrol officer was sitting in his patrol vehicle on the uh, side of a freeway working a traffic accident. While he was sitting in his vehicle, a oncoming driver in an SUV lost control of his vehicle and crashed into the back of the CHP trooper, pushing his vehicle into another vehicle, uh, which resulted in the trooper becoming unconscious. A uh, gentleman by the name of Shiraz Dial, who happens to own a local Days Inn, was outside his Days Inn smoking a cigarette. Well, he saw the crash, and without hesitation, he ran and jumped over the fence and went to the aid of the trooper. Uh, he realized that the trooper was unconscious and was unable to do anything for himself, so he got down to the radio and called an officer down, call out uh, so that assistance could respond to the scene. But the thing that uh, Mr. Dial found really amazing was the fact that when the trooper regained consciousness, his only concern was for that of his the other people involved in the accident, not for his own welfare. So the police officer was, even after recovering from such a impact, his concern was for others, not himself. That's amazing. Uh, at least you know where his head and heart is. Right. And you look at it, that's, that's twofold there. You've got Mr. Dial doing the right thing, and then the trooper doing the right thing. And. Uh- any update on the trooper's well-being? No, that not not so far, not that I've heard. Okay. All right. Now, we've gotten a lot of questions to talk about some cases we work together. So let's talk about one. What do you want to talk about? Let's, uh, let's do the first one we work together. Mr. Uh, Owens. Oh, Randall Owen. Was our bad guy in that case. Yes, that was. Uh, Mr. Owen. Uh, that was what, like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night we got called out? Yeah. Yeah, because that went all day through the next day, and we were up three days on that one. Yeah, that was a that, that was, was a long. stupid, stupid chase. But uh, yeah, Randall Owen um, ran into a little disagreement with his mother. His mother was Norma, and um, he decided that he was going to put an end to what he perceived as her complaining and her controlling ways. Let's just call it bitching and moaning all the time. Okay, that we'll we'll go with that. 
and he decided to uh, take uh, multiple knives and uh, keep her quiet. Yeah, do a lot of damage. I mean, based on the crime scene, it started in the living room, and uh, through the great efforts of our crime scene people, they were able to. Uh, we were able to see how, as she crawled from the living room to the kitchen, on her hands and knees, he was apparently standing over over her, stabbing her multiple times. All right. So it sounds. So what we've done just now is talked in circles a little bit. When did this happen? It was in '05. What month? August of '05. All right. So in August of '05, we get called out to what appeared to be a homicide at a local residence in Inverness. Correct. All right. When we get there, you remember how we got in the house? So deputies had gone in um, and found the decedent lying in the kitchen. Right. Covered with a blanket and uh, what appeared to be multiple stab wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the deputies alluded to us that he thinks, I'm sorry, this is funny shit, right. that he thought it was suicide. Right. With a knife. <laughs> Because um, what we later found out is Owens tried to stage this. Randall did. Yes. All right. So you have a deceased person laying in the kitchen with multiple stab wounds, covered in a blanket with a clean knife in her hand. That was probably the most, it was like a little neon sign going, bing, 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 bing. Because imagine in your minds, viewers, blood everywhere. And in the middle of this, sea of blood is this clean shiny pristine knife laying in the hand of your victim and that's what you saw i mean it was so obvious it stuck out like a neon sign so and i had asked you do you remember how we actually got in because we had to wait on a search warrant right um and then we heard a little dog barking right and for exigent circumstances as far as preserving a crime scene we had to go get the dog so he wouldn't mess it up. You remember that? I thought, weren't there two dogs? Two I little dogs? Me- I don't remember how many dogs. They were little yap-yap dogs. Define yap-yap. <laughs> little dogs that go yap-yap-yap. <laughs> so once we get in, um, we do a quick observation in the scene and the victim, uh, secure the dogs, and go back out without altering the scene whatsoever. So that's how we got in. Now, in the meantime, of course, as part of your normal investigation, we did a neighborhood canvas. And in the process of this neighborhood canvas is how we found out about Randall living there with Norma. Right, his mother. His mother. And one of the things, you know, as part of the normal investigation, you look for things missing. And one of the things that stuck out was Norma's vehicle was gone. It wasn't at the scene. Uh, So, again, as part of our follow-up and talking to the neighbors, we were able to find a neighbor that saw Randall driving out of the neighborhood in the mother's vehicle. It was known that um, Randall didn't drive, Mm -hmm. nor was he ever allowed to drive his mother's vehicle. Right. That's that's what we got from our neighborhood canvas. Right, and that he was not allowed to. Uh, she would never give him permission to because of his inability to. 
Right. And uh, so as a result of that, we were able to get a Bolo. Bolo put out for <laughs> it froze there. You've been retired too long. Yeah, too long. We got a bolo out looking for the vehicle. And that's how our things started to progress from there. Right. Um we also made contact with um the brother. The brother or uh the other son, it depends on who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Randall's brother. Randall's brother. And uh, he was adamant that um, Randall had some issues and mother was very controlling and was never allowed him to take that vehicle. Right. So with that, a bullet was issued. Um, we secured search warrants, man, we worked our ass off on that case. And it went all night long, all through the next day. Right. And then they subsequently located the vehicle in Orlando. Right. Actually, he had walked into a rental car place trying to rent a car but that's right for some reason they declined him and he went back out to the vehicle and the people at the rental car place were suspicious of the way he was acting so they called the police department and they located him and found the bolo in the system when they located that's right that's right and then we got called to go to... Well, he was transported to the hospital for medical reasons. Right. Because he had been under, supposedly been under hospice care for years. Well, why don't you describe uh, Randall for everybody? Randall was a unique individual. Um, he was tall and skinny, but he had a Walked unique... Walked with a cane. Yes, he had a unique feature. He had a very large growth... Okay. Tumor uh, on his stomach, just above the groin. And uh, we'll stop right there as far as dealing with about him until we get to the hospital right. and we speak to him at the hospital. Very good. So we end up getting a call that they have the car and uh, Randall at the hospital there in Orlando. Right. So we now have to make arrangements to go speak to him in Orlando. However, the bosses, being concerned with our condition, having been up so long, uh, they assigned another detective to drive <laughs> you and I, I to Orlando. But the one thing that I had them do is I had them stop by my house so I could get a pillow. Of course you did. And I sl we slept on the drive to Orlando uh, before we got there. Well, then we get there. Well, hang on. Go ahead. Let's, uh, let's talk about Norma for a minute. Okay. Um, once the, we secured the crime scene, mm -hmm. um, got search warrants, um, and our crime scene techs went in and started for, excuse me, photographing and documenting all the evidence. The medical examiner's offices eventually showed up. Right. Uh, she was subsequently excuse me, transported to the medical examiner's office where they began their examination. And uh, just to give you somewhat of an idea how upset Randall was, at his, was toward his mom, there were over 150 stab wounds where they stopped counting. There were two steak knives broken off um, in her jawline and in her head. Yes, in um, fact, when we first looked at it, we thought she had braces. Right. But it was, we were seeing the blade 
through the slight opening in her mouth. Right. So we're getting all this information. Um, so at that point, there's specific things that we know we're going to look for when we get to actually talk to Randall. Um, that would be cuts on his hands, especially with that uh, that much blood and that much rage. <clears throat> slippage. Um, you're going to have slippage on them. Right. And I think that's why a couple of knives were broken. And I don't know if anybody's aware. It is extremely hard to break a steak knife. It truly is. So uh, with that in mind, we finally get to the hospital and we meet up with Randall. But, but actually, before we met Randall, we met the actual real-life version of Doogie Hauser. Oh, yeah. Yes, the doctor that was caring for Randall came out of the room to talk to us, and we both looked at him and thought he was 12 years old. He really looked like, I don't know if anybody remembers the TV show, Neil Patrick Harris, or was it Neil? I don't know those guys. Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris, I think was his name, the actor that played uh, Doogie Hauser, which was the teenage doctor, and that's what this guy looked like. It was like, really? <laughs> the funny part about dealing with the doctor, the doctor wants to give us all this medical um, background training and experience that he has. Um, and come subsequently come to just finish his internship. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and he knows everything, ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so we went in and we had started having a discussion with Randall, of course. Uh, like, if you remember, Randall was very uh, coherent, intelligent. During the normal part of our, the beginning part of our conversation, mm -hmm. um, very forthcoming, said mom had let him borrow the car, yada, yada, yada. Right. And then we started asking him hard questions. Right. Well, um, we started off as if she was okay. Right. I remember and that. And that the reason we're here is because she was concerned for his welfare and if he was okay. It was about that time he turned. Yes. Real quick. Randall got odd. <laughs> And at some point, that's when the tumor came into came play. Into play. <laughs> because Randall would grab the tumor and rub it and say, I've got snakes in my belly. Yeah. Randall was odd. Definitely a strange fellow. So we talked to him for a while, and he uh, never made any emissions, did he? None. It was, uh, it was different. Again, when we started asking him hard questions, he went just south of the border mentally. Kind of did was, a lot of pauses. Right. I think it was all a show. Yeah, he wasn't a dumb guy. No. no. Different, but not dumb. No, he had issues. Oh, he definitely. had some medical issues, maybe some mental issues. Obviously, he had um, violent tendencies. <laughs> yeah. Because something didn't, didn't some, I'm trying to remember now, there was about a, a frame to a Harley Davidson motorcycle involved. Right. Apparently, um, one of the, the arguments that we heard about uh, between Randall and Norman is she wanted him to get that motorcycle out of her garage. That's it. And uh, that was his pride and joy. Even though it was in bits and pieces all over the garage, it was still his pride and joy, and, and he wasn't going to have it. Right. That's We got that from the brother, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. But we did. We talked to... Uh, Randall for quite a while. He never came off and made any admissions. So he was eventually arrested for the theft of the mother's vehicle. Right. Uh, transported back to Citrus County, where he was eventually charged with first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, but however, prior to trial, or trial, he uh, passed away. It happens. Yeah. The reality is it saved a lot of taxpayers' money. And a lot of time on our part. Right. Uh, but uh, that was an interesting case. Um, didn't know Norma, but um, everything we heard about her, she was somewhat of a controlling mother. Mm-hmm. But a hardworking person. Right. She um, uh, ran uh, some uh, rental properties, I believe right. it was. Um, but still, the, her demise wasn't justified. Yeah, nobody deserves to go out like she did. No. That's a shame. All right. Well, that's the case of Randall Owen. Oh, that was our first homicide we worked together. Yeah, that was. Good times. We actually have a lot more um, odd cases we worked together. All right, now it's time. Let's talk about our new segment, You Can't Make This Up. What do you got, Matt? Oh, we got a guy out of uh, Missouri, for whatever reason, decides he's going to rob a bank. Oh. So he goes into the bank and hands the, uh, the teller a note. The note is uh, written in pink highlighter. Oh, well, colorful. On the back of his birth certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so he's an intellectual. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He needed reminding of who he was. (laughs) So it gets better. Oh, oh, it gets better than his own birth certificate. (laughs) Not only did he hand the clerk the robbery note on his birth certificate, he was also wearing an ankle monitor <laughs> for a previous robbery he attempted to commit. So uh, this young man's looking, looking at 20 years in jail. <laughs> wow. You just can't make this shit up. <laughs> no, he should run for office. Hey, you remember that time we worked a bank robbery in Inverness and the guy used his own bank Dri- card? <laughs> yes, he left it. <laughs> he left his own bank card there. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> this is fun stuff. All right, everybody, that'll do it for this week. And we thank you for joining us and talk to you soon.